Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Back in July of 2022, Eric, myself, and a friend of this ministry, Trevor Wolf, had the opportunity to travel back east and to visit a number of historical sites pertinent to the history of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We began in Nauvoo, and if you want to hear that account, just listen to last week's shows. You can hear them at mrm.org podcast, and that will give you a link to all those past shows. But we wanted to listen to what Latter-day Saints were saying about their history, as well as be involved in some outreach while we were in Nauvoo, helping a friend of ours, Steve Daly, who runs the Nauvoo Christian Visitor Center. It was on Monday, July 18th, that we visited the Johnson Farm. Now, the Johnson Farm is probably not well known, although it does play an important role in LDS history, because it was at the Johnson Farm where Joseph Smith was staying with his wife Emma that 16 alleged revelations that are found in the Doctrine and Covenants were received by Joseph Smith while he was staying at the Johnson Farm. Not only did he receive a number of these so-called revelations that found their way into the DNC, while he was there, he did a lot of work on his Joseph Smith translation. Now, that would be his rendition of the Bible. It was also known as the Inspired Version. When we went, there was another family that was there. One of them, we believe, was probably a returned missionary. So it was us three and this family, and we were listening to two sister missionaries. And as I explained last week, we tried very hard to be on our best behavior. We will ask hard questions, but only under some circumstances. Now, there was something that took place at the Johnson Farm that we knew was going to be brought up, and that was the tar and feathering of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon. And certainly these two sister missionaries brought that up. And the reason why it's such an emotional event for Latter-day Saints is not only this assault on Joseph Smith, who they believe is their beloved prophet, but after he had the tar and feathers removed as much as possible, the next day Joseph Smith gives a sermon in front of the Johnson house. And of course, they look at him as, wow, see how dedicated he is. He goes through this horrible ordeal. And it was a horrible ordeal. We are not justifying the tar and feathering of Joseph Smith or Sidney Rigdon. Violence is uncalled for and certainly should be condemned, even in this case. But when talking about the tar and feathering, you were basically given the impression that the reason why this took place was because it was the usual persecution against Joseph Smith and his claim to be a prophet of God. And there's really more to the story. In fact, Susan Easton Black, I guess you could say, is a church historian. She writes curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She talks about this tar and feathering. 
What did she say back in 2002 while speaking at BYU-Hawaii? Yeah, this was a devotional she gave on November 21st, 2002, and is published in the BYU-Hawaii website, uh, and it's titled Joseph Smith's Brutal Test of Faith. And as you mentioned, she did write church curriculum, and she wrote 100 books. So that's just an amazing number. And she explained in her devotional that the period of church history in Hiram, quote-unquote, were glorious times. That's how she put it. So she gave this devotional, and this is how she described it. She says, The mob carried Joseph a little ways off, where he also noticed Sidney Rigdon, who had sustained a head wound. They stripped Smith, except for a shirt collar, and put him on a rail. A Dr. Dennison, who had attended Joseph's birth years earlier in Vermont and since moved west, planned to castrate the prophet. His hand began to shake, and he dropped the knife. Next, the doctor brought out a bottle of nitric acid. As he attempted to shove the vial of acid into Joseph's mouth, he pushed so hard that it actually chipped out one of Joseph's front teeth. Black noted that until he got his tooth fixed in 1843, the prophet spoke, quote-unquote, almost with a whistle. Now, it's interesting that Susan Easton Black brings up Dr. Dennison. Because you do hear about Dr. Dennison, and he is mentioned in a footnote in the Documentary History of the Church, Volume 1, page 264. It says at the bottom of page 264, there were about 40 or 50 in the mob that attacked the prophet on this occasion. He also states that a Dr. Dennison, a man of considerable influence in the community, was a member of this mob and threatened to do the prophet great bodily injury. But when he saw the prophet in the hands of his enemies, his heart failed him. Now, Susan Easton Black gives some details that are not found in the history of the church. What's interesting also, volume five of Times and Seasons, this is in 1844. They are recounting LDS history, and they talk about this tar and feathering that took place. It says on the 25th of March, this would be in 1832. No mention is given to Dr. Dennison in this account. So we do have him mentioned, but he's mentioned as a footnote. And what he was going to do was do the prophet great bodily injury. Now, Susan Easton Black mentioned specifically that they were going to castrate him. So the question then becomes, where did Susan Easton Black get this information? Because you don't find it in the history of the church. You don't find it in the Times and Seasons newspaper. But you do find it in an account known as The Luke Johnson Autobiography, dated 1807 to 1838. It was also called The History of Luke Johnson by Himself. It was published in the Latter-day Saints Millennial Star, Volume 26. And this account was also published in the Deseret News on May 26, 1858. This is when the Latter-day Saints had already moved into the Salt Lake Valley. This is the account that Luke Johnson gives in his autobiography. He says in the fall of 1831. And we should mention that date is incorrect. He says fall of 1831, but all the other accounts seem to point to the 25th of March of 1832. 
While Joseph was yet at my father's, a mob of 40 or 50 came to his house. A few entered his room in the middle of the night, and Carnot Mason dragged Joseph out of bed by the hair of his head. He was then seized by as many as could get hold of him, and taken about 40 rods from the house, stretched on a board, and tantalized in the most insulting and brutal manner. They tore off the few nightclothes that he had on for the purpose of emasculating him and had Dr. Dennison there to perform the operation. But when the doctor saw the prophet stripped and stretched on the plank, his heart failed him and he refused to operate. The mob then scratched his body all over, saying, Damn you, this is the way the Holy Ghost falls upon you. And in attempting to force open his jaws, they broke one of his front teeth to pour a vial of some obnoxious drug into his mouth. Now, the details that are given by Luke Johnson seem to concur with what we read in the Times and Seasons and what we read in Volume 1 of the History of the Church. A lot of those details are pretty much exactly the same, especially when it comes to the tarring and feathering itself and the attempt to pour some kind of obnoxious liquid into Joseph Smith's mouth to the point where one of his teeth are chipped. But my question is this, Eric, why castration? That seems to be a punishment more for sexual offenses, sexual sins, if you will, or sexual crimes The rumor seemed to have been at that time that Joseph Smith was hitting on John Johnson's daughter, Marinda Johnson. The argument goes that this rumor had circulated, and because one of the men in the mob was Eli Johnson, who was the brother of John Johnson, that would be Marinda's uncle, that it could have been this was a response to the, this rumor, and this is all we can say about it because there's no evidence really one way or the other whether this actually took place. This could have been what motivated at least Eli, maybe Dr. Dennison as well, because he's going to perform this operation. And they must have been pretty sure that Joseph did do that to go this far in trying to punish Joseph Smith. Now, The question could be raised, well, why doesn't John Johnson come to defend the honor of his daughter? Well, John Johnson really believes that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, so it would seem that he probably would not believe these rumors, and he would be giving Joseph Smith the benefit of the doubt. That could be true, but I still go back to this punishment. Why castration? Now, we do know from the book Mormon Enigma, Emma Hale Smith, written by Linda King Newell and Valene Tippett's Avery, that it was not uncommon that if Joseph Smith stayed at your house or you stayed, if you were a young female, staying with the Smiths, that there was a a chance that Joseph Smith was probably going to make sexual advances towards you. They bring this out in Mormon Enigma, and it happens more than once. What's the lesson we are to learn from this then, Bill? The lesson is don't stay at Joseph Smith's house and don't let Joseph Smith stay at your house if you have a wife and or daughter because there's a good chance he's probably going to make some sexual kind of advances on them. And that's not one time. That's not two times. That was a number of times that this happened. So we could say, based on what we read about this attempt to castrate Joseph Smith, plus other historical evidence that shows Joseph Smith did make advances on other women, that this could be true. Now, we can't prove it, but the fact remains Joseph Smith 
when Dennison decides he's not going to go through with this, he is punished by tar and feathering. And again, I want to, to state that is wrong. That should not have happened. How many Latter-day Saints have no idea? This is all brand new information about Dr. Dennison. In fact, if they read the first volume of the Saints series, The Standard of Truth, 1815 to 1846, not one mention is made of this person. So unless you have access to an obscure journal, you're not going to be able to really know anything about this. And so when we were at the Johnson Farm, we knew that this was a good possibility as to why Joseph Smith was tarred and feathered. But Eric, are we going to bring that up to two young missionary girls in front of a, another Mormon family? That would have been really awkward. We had no opportunity really to bring this up. But again, we were there to listen to how these Latter-day Saint tour guides are going to tell about their history. And as we expected, they tried to make Joseph Smith larger than life. He goes through this horrible persecution. But look at he's so dedicated to the cause that within hours after going through this terrible ordeal, he stands in front of the door of the Johnson house and delivers this message the very next day. And that's exactly how you were supposed to walk away when you go and visit a lot of these sites. Now, I know they own these sites. They're the ones allowed to tell their own story. But we were there to hear how they tell the story. And this was, this was one of those cases where it wasn't so much what you did hear, it was what you didn't hear that carries a very strong message. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.